The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 21. The word of God speaks to us. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is God's word to us. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, <clears throat> my name is Derek Chapin. I'm the, I'm the community director here at Frontline Church, and uh Man, I'm just really grateful to be here with you this morning. If you're a visitor at Frontline, if you're a visitor with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. We've got a gift for you we'd love to give you on your way out. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you have questions about Scripture, you have questions about who Jesus is, man, we're so glad you're here too. My prayer and our hope for you this morning is that the Lord might open your heart to his truth this morning. So we've, for the last couple of months, we've been in the book of First Corinthians. And, and we've been walking through this book. We've, we're about four chapters in now. And we've been seeing these themes repeat, right? These repeated themes of, of gratitude, right? Of, of Paul expressing gratitude for this church. He, he talks about, about the difference between worldly wisdom and, and godly wisdom, he talks over and over in this, uh, in this book about unity, and he even takes time to, to coach leaders in this book. So Paul spent 18 months planting this church in Corinth, and, and, and now we're reading this letter that he's writing back to the church that he planted, and, and, and he's, he's being both encouraging and corrective. He's being tough and tender. He's being gracious and just, right? And our passage this morning calls us uh, not only to look more like Jesus, but also points us in the path to get there, to get there. I, I was thinking about this podcast that I've been listening to recently and how it relates to this passage. It, it's called Icons Club. 
Icons Club, and, and, it, and it, it talks about NBA superstars, and it like chronicles uh, these NBA superstars, and, and this is not necessarily like a, a, a history of these superstars' lives. I, I, think if, I think if it were a history of the lives of these superstars, I couldn't promote it in a church setting, um, but what it is is it's, it's actually, it's actually uh, chronicling the relationships between NBA superstars. So it talks about how like Bill Russell called uh, uh, Larry Bird on the phone after he lost in the NBA Finals and encouraged him. It talks about this relationship between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, which I think is really interesting, didn't come out until Kobe Bryant died. Right, but, but Michael Jordan had been coaching Kobe Bryant uh, through phone calls and dinners and things like that. M- my only beef with this podcast is that the host talked about this idea of leaders coaching leaders as if it was like a revolutionary idea, as if it was this new thing that we hadn't seen before, when the reality is God has been raising up disciples who raise up more disciples for generations. Right? We see that all through Scripture, and that's what we see in our passage this morning. So so my goal this morning is to get out of the way and let Paul's words as he coaches, as he admonishes, as he encourages this church in Corinth stand on their own. And and my prayer for us this morning is that uh, this church here in Yukon would have ears to hear Paul's words for that church in Corinth. So so we're going to start here right where Paul starts And he's saying that when we look more like the world than we do the cross, we've got a problem. We've got a problem, right? We're we're all disciples of something. And Paul is asking the question, disciples of what? Disciples of the world or disciples of the cross? Paul is saying here that, uh, man, the world is enticing and yet the, the cross is, is actually life-giving. It's life-giving. Let me show you what I mean. Listen to 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to start at the, the, the second half of verse 7, where it says, For what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as, as if you did not receive it? And I, I read that verse because it sets the, kind of sets the tone for what's coming. Right? He's saying, if everything you have is a gift, then, then, then why are you boasting? What, what are you bragging about if what you have has been given to you? So then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, already you have what you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all, the the like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but, but you are wise in Christ. We, we are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Let, let me be clear here. Paul is not offering compliments Right? If, if you read this uh, again, then you're going to see that these, these words from Paul are scorching sarcasm. 
right? We, we see sarcasm in the Bible and we think, man, uh, I, I think the Bible is always just these really nice words, but, but we see Jesus use these, these words that are piercing and, and Paul's doing the same thing here with scorching sarcasm, there's a moment here that we can uh, think about our, ourselves as readers of Scripture and, uh, and, and just be reminded that context matters, right? Listen to verse 10. If we were to take verse 10 out of this passage, it, it would say this, for we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. See, if you were to rip that verse out of context, you could make it say something that Paul's not trying to communicate at all, right? So, so in, in Paul's absence, what has happened is that this church in Corinth has, has actually begun to look more like the world, to operate under worldly wisdom. He names that right there in verse 8. He, he says that you're pursuing your own personal desires, when he, when he says, already you have what you want. He's saying that, that you're pursuing your own financial gain. When he says, you have become rich. And, and Paul is pointing out the fact that, that this church is pursuing power and influence. When they say, without us, you have become kings. So Paul is using this language, we and you, we and you. And, and what he's doing is he's contrasting the, the life of Paul and Apollos, who he's speaking of when he says we, and the life of this, this church in Corinth. And, and so he's saying for Paul and Apollos, we don't pursue our own desires. We don't pursue money. We don't pursue power. We, we choose to, to preach the gospel we choose to serve those who are around us. In our choices, those choices, they actually make us look weak. They actually make us look honorless, and you look strong. You look honorable in the things that you're doing in the eyes of the world, but, but the reality is what he's saying here is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. It's as, it's as if he's saying, hey, hey, church, you are missing the life that Jesus is calling you to because you're living the life that the world is tempting you with. Let me say that one more time. You're missing the life that Jesus is calling you to because you're living the life that the world has tempted you with. Maybe that feels familiar to you this morning. Maybe that feels convicting for you this morning. Let me remind you that Paul is not roasting the church in Corinth without purpose, right? He's not bringing condemnation without actually pointing them to something else, something else that's, that's, that's far greater. I, I really like Andrew Wilson's language here. He, he wrote a book or a commentary on 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> and when talking about this concept, he, he says that Paul is pointing this church to imitate him by being cross-shaped disciples, by being cross-shaped disciples. Let's, let's look at what Paul says a cross-shaped disciple looks like. This is verse 11 through 13. To the present hour we hunger and we thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor 
working with our own hands. When, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. See, Paul is living a life that's cross-shaped. And he's asking this church to live a life that imitates him. But, but here's the reality, guys. Like, cross-shaped discipleship is actually painful. It's painful, right? Th think about Jesus hanging on the cross and the amount of pain that he experienced. He experienced physical pain through crucifixion. He experienced the emotional pain of, 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 of isolation. He experienced what might have actually been the worst of all, the, the spiritual pain, as, as all of our sin was put upon his body of being separated from his heavenly father. That's, that's the pain that was experienced on the cross. And, and, and we experience pain as we follow the cross here today. Right, living, living a life of sexual purity, where, where, where we follow the, the sexual ethics that are laid out in this book, where sex is, is confined to, uh, to a marriage between a man and a woman, like, that's painful. That, that can be a painful pursuit, a life-giving one, a, a good one, but a painful one. Right? S sometimes when we think of, of discipleship, uh, we think that, 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 it's, that it's not going to involve uh, hard challenges, and pursuing genuine generosity is actually hard. Right? It's actually painful to, to give of your money and your time, to lay your body down as a, as a living sacrifice. Like That can be painful. And, and to be a servant while being treated like a servant can be painful. Right? Living a cross-shaped life can be painful. And it's also, it's also not romantic. Cross-shaped discipleship is not romantic, right? T following Jesus takes grit. Paul uh, doesn't say if reviled, if persecuted, if slandered. He, he actually says when reviled, when persecuted, when slandered. How do we respond? We respond by blessing. We respond by enduring, and we respond in these moments by entreating. Sometimes we might think about cross-shaped discipleship as, as being a life filled with fruit. When we see all this fruit from the life that we're living, when the reality is often it looks more like dirt work, it, more, it looks more like, like pulling weeds it looks more like planting seeds and then waiting on the Lord. And, and friends, waiting on the Lord is not very romantic. In fact, sometimes it's just really hard. It's just really hard. But, but let, me, let me say in, in, in the last point of this section, and I hope that this is what you hear clearly right now, is that cross-shaped discipleship is worth it. 
it's worth it. Listen to this familiar passage in James chapter 1. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, Scripture does, does not sugarcoat the, the, the challenges of, of living a life for Jesus, but, but these verses in James re- remind us that our trials and that our pain and the things that we experience are actually used to perfect us into his image, lacking nothing. This this is true this morning, friends, whether you believe it right now or not. He is working through your experiences to make you look more like Jesus if your faith is in him. So my question right now is, is where is your hope? Is it in your current circumstances or is is it in a savior who experienced everything that you're experiencing? who lived and died and rose again and renewed our relationship with our creator, God. And on the final day, he's going to return. He's going to come back here, and he's going he's to make whole everything that's broken. See, that, that is where Paul's hope was. That's where Paul's hope is. That's where his eyes are fixed. And and as his eyes are fixed on the hope of the cross, he's enabled to live a life of persecution because he knows how the story ends. We all know how this story ends. And so so as Romans 12 says, we, we get to live as living sacrifices for him. So now we turn our attention back to this passage and we look at verse 14. And I love this verse. This is, a, this is a moment where Paul shifts his tone. And, and he, he, he begins to define his relationship with this church. Not just as teacher, but also as father. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14. It says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Isn't that good news? I do not write these things to make you ashamed or to make you feel shame, but to admonish you as beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. It's it's right here that Paul shifts from teacher to father. He's expressing his love and his affection this church, right? If you're a parent in the room, if you have kids, then, then, then you, you understand that, man, uh, we want our children to honor us. As parents, we want our children to obey us. But, but more than that, 
like, like deeper than that, I, I, want, I want my kids to know that I, I love them and I delight in them. And then maybe a fruit from that is that they might honor me and obey me, but otherwise their obedience is hollow. That, that, that's where Paul is, is, is parking here. He, he's just saying, you are my beloved children. Not my volunteers, not my staff. You are my beloved children. And, and as, as Paul is doing this, as he's expressing his, his fatherly love for this church, he's, he's actually embodying the heart of the father. Because that's, that's the heart that our father has for us. So, so if you heard the beginning of this passage and you're thinking, man, I feel, I feel really shameful about the way that my life is playing out. I feel like I look more like the world than I do like the cross. L- let, me hear, or, or, let me be clear here that when, when God points you and convicts you of sin in your life, it's actually a gift. When, when, he, when he points to a, a, a part of your heart that's dark, He's actually calling you to repentance, and that's a gift from him. Paul offers correction to this church because he loves them like a dad. So so Paul wants to see uh, more spiritual fathers in this church because Paul has a problem right? Paul has a problem, and it's, it's not a new problem. We see this over and over in the New Testament. See, what happens with Paul is he gets, he gets called to a city, and he preaches the gospel, and he, and he plants a church in that city, and then one of two things happens. Either he gets called to another city, or he gets himself thrown in jail. Either way, he's separated from his spiritual children, we see this problem uh, expressed in epistle after epistle in the New Testament where Paul is constantly saying, hey, I, I wish that I could come be with you. I, I want to see you. I want to be with you. And yet there's something in the way. And, and so he addresses this problem in this passage when he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you Timothy. I'm going to send you Timothy. And, and we have to draw a conclusion from that action. And the conclusion is, is that uh, disciples are made by disciples. Disciples are made by people, not by ideas. Right? Ideas don't make disciples. People's make, people make disciples because presence matters. I, I really like uh, the way that Andrew Wilson said in his commentary on this book when he said this. He said, good teaching is essential, but transformation happens when people are not only teach, but actually live out the Christian faith in front of us, showing us how the cross shapes our work, our relationships, and our finances, and in this case, our unity and our humility in Christ. When I read that quote and I was thinking about this concept, I just thought about um, I thought about the board game Settlers of Catan, and I was thinking, um, I don't know very many people who'd like to sit down and play Settlers of Catan by, um, by reading the instructions and then just trying to play, right? What's actually easier is if you sit down at a table with other people who have played this game and just jump in, right? It's the same concept we see here, and, and we have proof that 
that Andrew Wilson's quote is true because Paul wrote the, the Corinthian church at least two, probably more letters, full of content, full of ideas, and yet he still sent them Timothy because physical presence matters. Right? If, if, if conveying content was all that mattered, then Jesus wouldn't have collected 12 disciples to live life on life for three years. And if, if conveying content was the only thing that matters, then the, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew would have said, um, go and preach the gospel to all nations. But it doesn't say that. It says, it says go and make disciples of all nations. So, so Paul has, has expressed his fatherly love for this church. He, he's addressed the need for, for physical presence by, by sending Timothy. But he also expresses this need for more fathers. For more fathers, more spiritual fathers. He says this when he says, you have countless guides in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. So we're left with the question this morning, what does he mean by fathers? What is he talking about when he says spiritual fathers? Well, I think we've got, we've got to look at this in, in two ways. Listen to verse 18 through 21 of this passage. It says, some, of, uh, it says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with the rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? See, I, I think when we take Paul's tone in those verses... And we combine it with what he was correcting them in, in, in verses 18 through 13 and what's coming in chapter 5 of this book. We have to conclude that when Paul uses the word father here, he's thinking of himself as an eldering spiritual father, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an elder. Whatever word you want to use there, Paul is it. He's offering correction He's casting vision. He's condemning sin. He's living a life worth imitating. He's fiercely defending this church and protecting them against the influences of the world. And I don't want to preach Jeff's sermon. He's preaching on chapter 5 next week. But, but in chapter 5, we see Paul name a specific situation that's, that's not only immoral in, in terms of biblical ethics, it's immoral in the eyes of the world. We have a horrendous situation that the church is just letting happen, and Paul is coming alongside them and saying, this is not okay. Right, so I, I think that we have to come to the conclusion here that Paul is identifying a need for more elders, more pastors, more spiritual fathers in the church in Corinth. And, and he's also saying, church... You need to submit to these spiritual fathers. However, I don't think that's all that he's saying here. 
right? When, when we look at Paul's uh, call to imitate him combined with, with the importance of physical presence that we just talked about, I, I, I think we have another conclusion that we can come to. Let me, let me put it this way. Frontline Church, all five congregations, one church has 2,878 members. Those members sit under the leadership of around 40 elders. If you can do the math, you can figure out that it's not possible for our 40 elders to, to personally disciple and, and be physically present with all, almost 3,000 of our members. You, you see this, right? Now, now, this shouldn't cause us to panic. This shouldn't cause us to freak out. Because um, the Bible actually addresses this and talks about how, 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 how we can uh, disciple one another. And in Titus 2, we see, we see older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women. And, and so I, I, would, I would argue, I, I think that Paul in this moment is saying, hey, we need more Titus 2 relationships too. We, we need more spiritual parents. And, and, and I want to echo Paul's concern for the church in Corinth and say the same thing about our church. We need more spiritual moms. We need more spiritual dads. We, we, we need to function as spiritual kids to one another. And, and don't get caught up with the language of age. Right? I've had plenty of men who are younger than I am that have actually functioned as a spiritual dad in my life. Right? And, 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 and I function as a spiritual dad in many of my dear friends' lives who are actually older than I am. And see, I, I think that Paul here is, is arguing that, that, that he actually uh, needs more elders at this church and he needs more cross-shaped disciples to imitate. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. So j just to, to put it on the ground a little bit, here at Frontline, we, we also we, we want to pursue both of the sides of that coin. We, we hope that we do, right? So we pursue Titus II type relationships in our community groups where we gather weekly and we pray together and we confess sin and, and, and we bring our gifting to that setting. And, and maybe the most important piece, it gives us the opportunity in those moments to be spiritual moms, spiritual dads, Sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, and function as, as the family of God. Right? We also pursue these types of Titus 2 relationships when we serve. Right? How many times have we said uh, that, that what's important when we're serving is not actually that you're setting out the chairs, it's who you're setting out the chairs with? Right? That, that the relationship between you and the, the the, the, the brother or sister in Christ you're laboring with um, is actually more important than the job that you're doing. Right? So we pursue these types of relationships as we serve. And, and then we, we also, we, we, we hope that we pursue uh, the, the, the model of, of biblical eldership as, as we think about church membership. Right? When, when we enter into covenant membership, then we're submitting our lives uh, to this group of elders to protect and shepherd and lead us. See, in, in this passage, Paul's posture toward the church in Corinth is, 
is an imitation of the Father's heart for us. In this passage, Paul is is encouraging and he's corrective. In this passage, Paul is tough and he's tender. He's, He's gracious and he's just. And he gets that from our Heavenly Father, who's gracious and just. He's he's gracious when when out of an abundance of love, he sent Jesus to repair our broken hearts. And out of an abundance of love, he, he, he draws us to him with overflowing grace. But but don't forget, friends, that our, our God is also just. He's just. And it's, and it's an abundance of that same love that he's just when he never changes his standard of holiness. He's, he's a just father when, when he allows us to experience the earthly consequences of our sin. So as we come out of this passage I want to leave you with with two questions, questions for you to process with your family, with your spouse, with your community group, with with the folks around you. They're going to be on the screen here for you. And the first question is, is who are you imitating? (laughs) Who are you imitating? Are you imitating the world? Does, Does your life look more like the world. If, 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 if somebody uh, didn't know where you spend your Sunday mornings, would they know that you're a follower of Jesus? Right? Does your life look more like the world or are you imitating the cross? Are, are you imitating Paul? Are you laying down your personal preferences uh, for, for uh, this life-giving call from Jesus? Who are you imitating? And my second question is, are you under the authority of a spiritual parent who can point to areas of your life that are inconsistent with the cross? Do you have these relationships in your life? Have you submitted your life to someone who can point out your blind spots? And and maybe just as important as that, are you postured in such a way that you can accept their correction? Is there somebody in your life who's playing the role of spiritual parent? Those are my questions this morning. Who are you imitating? And is there someone in your life that can point out your blind spots? See, church, I I pray that we would see deep, relationships forged at Frontline Church that would point each other to cross-shaped discipleship. And I pray that these relationships are, are, are tough and tender. I, I pray that, that they're encouraging and that they're corrective. I pray that they're gracious and just. Would you pray with me this morning?